Welcome to the Utah Podcopalians. Now, this is a podcast about the unique church, the Episcopal Church, in what we all know is our unique land of Utah. And today, we're going to talk about some um, kind of interesting subjects, very interesting. Uh, this is a follow-up of our last podcast. We kind of made it a series of very important issues who not only face our faith tradition, but face, I think, all of humanity, uh, those of uh, other faith traditions and those of no faith traditions at all. But since the Episcopal Church operates among us all in Utah, it becomes, um, I think, very appropriate. Uh, our guest, again, is the Reverend Kurt Wiesner of um, St. Paul's Church here in Salt Lake City. Now, St. Paul's is one of the older urban churches. I think when it started, it was suburban, but uh, like everything else, it's become urban. And part of that, uh, we see those issues that we're going to talk about today in urban, but also we're seeing these in suburbia, and we're seeing them all over our rural places and our city places. So let's get to it. And today, some of these topics might be disturbing to some, some of them might be controversial to some, and certainly they bring out the emotion in people. So welcome, welcome, and thanks for being here. And let's pick up where we kind of left off before, uh, and that is you were a deputy to General Convention. General Convention is the governing body of our Episcopal Church, the wider church, 104, some say 110. I never know how many dioceses, but over 100 get together just like ours, and we hash out resolutions on, that are going to guide the church. So let's start with one that we kind of left off on, and um, it, it is very encompassing, and that is the area of racism. It is still a major issue. It has never gone away. And I think some felt it went away in the 60s with voting rights or it went away with this or that. But let's face it, and let's be honest, racism is among us. And what is the church doing about it? Thanks, Craig. Um, yeah, I think that there were many resolutions that reflected the church's commitment to a continued reckoning um, with its history and also its reality and how to go forward. So I, I think I said last time that, you know, history to know and uncover, truth telling about it, a commitment to uh, transformed and shared leadership and to ultimately make change. So we talked about the indigenous boarding schools, which is certainly in uh, this area of racism, but there were other resolutions that were really important as well. Uh, resolution A-125 uh, included $400,000 in startup funds to establish a voluntarily Episcopal Coalition for Racial Equity and Justice among dioceses and congregations. So uh, this would be something that every uh, diocese and even individual congregations could uh, be part of, charged with facilitating, coordinating, encouraging, supporting, and networking efforts of Episcopal diocese parishes, organizations, and individuals for racial justice and equity, the dismantling of white supremacy, and in collaboration with the work of the Executive Council and the Episcopal Church Center. 
Um, Can I interrupt there for one moment and just say, wow, that's a mouthful of a lot it of, mouthful. of networking. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the goal of this networking um, that we went through kind of a period that um, thou shall not commit racism, but now we're kind of going into a um, self-evaluation. Is that a good way to put it of, cool. of what caused this? It's self-evaluation, -eva but it's also not in a vacuum, or it's also not simply in our own minds. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of times people um, reflect on their own lives and perhaps their own history and come to a place of assent in their heads about this is how I want to live my life forward. But that's only a piece of racial reckoning. No one has the complete picture in and on themselves. Everyone will step in it, i.e. do something uh, that is insensitive, that is uh, uh, sort of displays their own biases and their own upbringing when it concerns racism. And the desire to not do this as individuals simply, but as a uh, levels of community. So all of that uh, mouthful at the beginning are really levels of community. And uh, we need people like Michael Curry and Stephanie Spellers uh, pushing us forward into uh, dealing with these on a, um, on a large uh, macro level. But we also need the ability to uh, know our own histories in our own place of where we live, um, amongst uh, the people whom we go to church, the people who make up the Diocese of Utah. And the more that we share our stories and a commitment to um, uh, dealing with that reality, I think the better opportunities that we have in going forward. And I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but um, I, I just had to like say, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here on networking? Can you give me an example of... Um, of good people who are sitting in your pews, sitting in the pews of all of our churches. Uh, and and uh, you're, you're not gonna find somebody who say, well, all the races raise your hands. People won't do that. I mean, they don't feel their way, but just some of these things that this is gonna be important when you talk about community, you talk about our history, perhaps a history we don't even know is there examples? I know this was very emotional. Some of the hearings and people gave their stories. Can, uh, an example that maybe brings this home for us? Uh, yeah, I think that's hard because it's so uh, contextual to the to the person in the moment. You know, language, for example, is probably a, a reality. We we um, use language in a way that reflects our upbringing and our culture, and um, when People tell us that that language and those examples leave their stories out. Um, that that can often be a, a, a jarring experience because everybody sort of assumes that um, you know while there's differences between everyone's upbringing, that there are some general principles that are are, are, are reality. Uh, you know, no, the um, the way that the police are seen. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in um, in typical uh, 
white upbringings, the police are seen as someone who is called on to help. And in uh, a lot of black and brown communities, the police are seen as someone who um, can end your life. And that is a, such a jarring difference of general understanding. And part of, um, so, so when, when people talk about defunding the police, that's coming from this reality that every day they have to remember that if they have an interaction with a police officer, it could be the end of their life. Mm -hmm. Because we hear story after story of story, now that we have cameras everywhere, that that's what happens. So, um, and, and, and that's such a different experience uh, for uh, people who have, have grown up white. And, and again, it's giving the opportunity to tell the stories in honest and open ways and say that how do we, um, again, right some of the wrongs? Um, how do we change some of the cultures and understand um, what privilege uh, we have and don't have in this society? When you talk about this society, for us, this means Utah. And do you see that there's an awareness, a new awareness, or at least an effort? Uh, because we've seen those of us that have been in Utah for years and years never saw a questioning of the police or never saw these topics uh, really surface like we are today, where there's are police doing things, there's pressure on the DA's office to open up investigations. There's vigils happening at the Capitol, sadly, over shootings and things. And I don't mean sadly we're having the vigils, but that there was a shooting or number of shootings. Do you see as a community leader, and certainly as a uh, faith leader, you are a community leader, that um, we're becoming more aware or is the problem getting worse or both? I'd say both. I, I think that we're becoming more aware. Um, our reactions to it um, vary across uh, political and religious lines. And, um, and at least for Christians, the view of Jesus makes a big difference in all of this. Now, if Jesus is someone who um, was in uh, opposition to the Roman way of justice through dominance and the realities of what it meant to be uh, Jewish in the first century as an oppressed group of people. Um, you spin that forward to the 21st century, uh, that moves us to a place of, 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 of questioning authority and the way that we share power and the way we react to power. Uh, but you know, a lot of people have taken Jesus and, and the biggest focus when it comes to Jesus is this personal savior or personal friend, which when that becomes the sole reference point of understanding Jesus, um, you, and when you lose that first century context, then you can really quickly um, isolate yourself from any issues of justice of the day. And you, know, you can see this pretty, pretty uh, well in the way that people describe Jesus or what Jesus would be concerned about. 
um, ranging from, you know, different memes and different, it's, yeah, it's all sure. over. Yeah, and, and we were seeing in political cartoons, I know recently, mm -hmm. there was a, a very poignant one in the uh, Salt Lake Tribune by Bagley of, mm -hmm. a, of a new definition of carrying the cross. Yeah. Um, that leads us to another topic that um, the church has wrestled with. Um, there were some that felt that the church had, as far as Episcopalians had solved in when we got into the area of same-sex marriage, we got into the area of clerics and, and people that um, same-sex, or uh, we're talking about the LGBTQ plus um, type of, uh, of legislation. We've had a number of it over the years. And again, um, it is a topic that uh, has become to our forefront politically religiously, emotionally, and in many cases, personally. Um, the church in its general convention, the 80th general convention held in Baltimore, um, this became a, a big topic. I think there were those that thought, well, that's done with from past years, but uh, certainly not the case. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's ever done with because uh, it's so easy to quickly scapegoat a group of people that are a minority. And and unfortunately, even as we uh, take steps forward, great, wonderful steps forward, it's so easy for um, a, a target to emerge again. So uh, there was a, a resolution AO63 was the creation of a new staff position, director of LGBTQI and women's ministries. And uh, this position um, was in a, you know, the funding for an intentional staff member on, um, uh, in, in the greater church um, that would expand on the work of the task force to study sexism in the Episcopal church and develop anti-sexism training. And the, the thought was of the need to have a coordinator at the top to uh, work with the presiding bishop and the president of the House of De Deputies uh, to sort of encourage the sharing of best practices uh, and uh, around the church. Uh, we, we have these uh, uh, specialized staff positions in other areas. And this is a commitment uh, to, to do so as well here. And it was really fascinating. I had to tell you that the, there was some conversation about waiting on this. And the people who, and there, there was no argument about the importance of women's ministries and LBGT, LGBTQI ministries. Mm -hmm. that, um, and, but there were people um, who were wrestling with how perfect do we need to make this position? How do we, you know, does it have to be perfectly streamlined? Do we have to give them this particular call and area so that, you know, we don't waste time and resources? And, and we heard that especially from the younger generation of, of deputies. And some of the elder deputies were like, we've got the funding here. We need to do this now, even if it's not perfect yet. <laughs> and, and part of it is that we can't wait two more years, especially with what's happening in the country. 
because you're right. There's uh, we we don't know how the Supreme Court is going to uh, go forward and mar- towards marriage equality, and there's reason to be concerned. So the the Episcopal Church is on record in full support of marriage equality, and and that uh, this position. Uh, should uh, help consolidate some of the resources and some of the messaging. We mentioned, and when you bring up this topic, it always comes to same-sex marriage, but it's so much broader, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And and can you talk to this new high-level position? And it's unusual for the Episcopal Church to create high-level positions of this statue. So... This is his serious business here. They normally, um, the church will observe things, will will certainly do task force frequently. And I don't want to sell those short, these task force or anything, but very seldom um, will you will create an entire high-level management in the presiding bishop's office. So um, how much wider, and you were there in the discussions, we, we tend to always go back to same-sex marriage, but there's far more, isn't there? Yeah, and, and I use same-sex marriage just because um, it's been um, speculated by the, uh, the, the Roe versus Wade uh, uh, brief that came out that, 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 um, that same-sex marriage might be next. So yeah. that's obviously a big concern, but the position um, is around um, equality and justice for uh, women and LGBTQI um, across the board. And I think it also leads well into um, some of the uh, medical and family leave policies that were also addressed by convention and agreed to. Uh, Resolution D083 affirmed that all Episcopalians uh, should uh, be able to access abortion services and birth control with no restriction or movement. Uh, they believe that there should be paid family leave and health insurance to lay and clergy church employees in a denominational health plan. Uh, a uh, These type of, of protections for people are in part um, a commitment to justice and also a read on the climate. And so, uh, and that also led to a fascinating discussion about um, the sites of general convention, because uh, you know, right now we have a considerable reaction by states uh, to either being fully support of medical procedures for women to those that are um, banning uh, any type of abortion service across the board. And the question becomes, is it, um, you know, we, we ask people to plan years in advance to come to a general convention. Uh, we don't know who um, will uh, find themselves pregnant during that time or find themselves in an emergency situation and might not be able to access those uh, services that are needed in a crisis. So there was some definite uh, um, anxiety and justice issues about how do we deal with this problem? And there was a, a one uh, 
so there were two resolutions. One was the you know the resolution to affirm Louisville as the site of the 81st uh, General Convention, and also to uh, consider a number of places for the 82nd Convention. And some people wanted to strike off certain uh, uh, places from even having that because of the place that they currently are on uh, medical procedures. Uh, what was the compromise, and this is a great compromise, was that the criteria to select future sites for future general conventions will include the following. And I'm going to read this just because you know, it really speaks to our values here. The, condition, the conditions of the site, including political conditions, do not pose an immediate threat to the physical safety and well-being of the members of the church. That intentional care will be taken by the presiding author, so on and so forth, to ensure the physical, mental, and emotional well-being of those at General Convention, and that General Convention being a visible manifestation of the body of Christ we represent will in all places concretely witness to the countercultural way of love that Jesus models, particularly in those places where the children of God are disenfranchised, so that we may point towards the reign of God through our presence and actions. So in that great Episcopal way, we did say, all right, if you don't have this, you don't, you, you can't be considered. But to say that these are the things that we do need to consider, not only to ensure the safety of our participants, but also to model the way of love. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, it really is a modern world um, situation. We're seeing that with corporate people even that where they put their headquarters or where they're going to have conventions and um it's it is a new world out there and the church is in the forefront and of course we we quickly come to the point where we almost run out of time because but i gotta get to one more that's also um we know supreme court we know uh, legislature activity and we know it's a subject that's really on everyone's mind. It's on the cover of every newspaper, on the top of every television show. Unfortunately, it's gun violence. And gun violence is in our lives. Wow. And we're, we're doing mass shootings where we hardly even notice them anymore. And, and I know there was even a, a murder uh, blocks away from um, general convention uh it just is is astounding the rate and the episcopal church um has taken stands before but um what do you do what do you do is a faith tradition and what happened again i know that was a big emotional situation what can the church do and what did it try to do that uh brains this in yeah so so there, there are three things i want to uh, highlight from the general convention uh first was of course uh resolutions resolution against ghost guns urging advocacy for state legislations against gun violence commending investment in community violence intervention to prevent gun violence so tangible resolutions of action uh, there was, you, you referred to the shooting that happened a few blocks from the convention center and the uh, Bishops Against Guns Violence invited everyone for a walk demonstration uh, that evening after they got out of, of the convention work for the day. 
again, that witness to that these moments of violence uh, are, are, are not unseen. Mm-hmm. To be, you know, that it needs to be recognized that this is a continuing problems and, and uh, whether it makes the news or not. And then finally, uh, perhaps uh, most emotionally, uh, the, uh, the delegation from the Diocese of, of Alabama where uh, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church and uh, Estavia Hills uh, had uh, their recent shooting and lost uh, three of their members and 18 people survived that, uh, that attack from someone who was attending their dinner. Um, the convention rose in a unanimous silent affirmation of the resolution to honor and lament um, the loss of these three members. Uh, before the resolution was voted on, uh, a member of the deputation uh, spoke about what happened and that she had every confidence that those three members would have done exactly what they did, welcome the stranger and the person who was there uh, to eat, to be part of the community, to, uh, to share uh, their, their life in this Christian community. Uh, they... they did uh, they died doing their faith and it's absolutely tragic Uh, but it's a story that must be told and we can't be afraid to uh to do our ministry so all this is connected and i think that those three examples uh, have the breadth of what general convention does resolutions public witness and silent affirming acknowledgement of the tragedy. It seems so faith-driven and logical, and um, uh, maybe logical is the wrong word because there's so much in the gun violence debate that isn't logical in many a decision. And I have to ask you the hard question. Um, We talk like that, our bishop has certainly as a gun violence victim himself talks like that. And yet there is an incredible amount of opposition in our legislature, mm-hmm. in our courts. Was there any opposition on the floor of general convention? No, no. So because, because, and honestly, Craig, I think that reflects where the vast majority of the country is. The vast majority of the country is for sensible gun controls. That's why I asked that question, because um, we, we need to remind folks that the deputation, the House of Deputies is made up of elected people from our congregations, which come from, let's say here in Utah, all over the state of Utah, a state that um, a lot of gun control laws would have no chance mm-hmm. uh, and, and no chance ever of passing. And our, our representatives come from all over the, the state because our diocese covers the state. Uh, we have uh, four laity from that. We have our clerics similarly selected from all over what we can call the state of Utah. And all these other states, we're talking Texas, Florida, places where gun thing, and you're saying it's unanimous, and maybe that is our witness that uh, 
this is, these are the people of the of the area. These are the people of our um, of our make up our church, and our church is often referred to as somewhat liberal. I'm not sure that's totally true, but it certainly shows that um, the people of this land are um, maybe wanting to rise up, and this could be the voice that helps rise them up, raise them up there. Yeah. Boy, we're just about out of time. I know we got many other subjects. Um, before we run off, I'm going to ask uh, Brianna, who's been recording this, if she has any questions, but we got to make it kind of brief. We're sort of get you know we we hit that so much i have two quick things and that it's yeah. a, and, uh, and not to cut you off brianna you want to nope, you're nope. good so so two things is one there was an important moment of of showing the going forward and as many people know uh the Episcopal diocese of fort worth was the site of a terrible split in the church where the majority of the clergy it left uh, the Episcopal Church and tied up all the properties in litigation, and and there was and and all the resources. So it was stripped clean, uh, the di and including the rights to the name. So the Diocese of North Texas formed and continued to meet in a few locations of churches where the majority uh, was still part of the Episcopal Church and worked to make something out of of what was left and then this past year um, the state supreme court ruled in favor of those who left and the supreme court decided not to hear the case which meant they had to vacate all their churches mm -hmm. and so everything was ripped open again it was such a tragedy You're so right. hard um, we had um, the moment of reunification. So originally there was one diocese in the, the huge state of Texas and both the current diocese of Texas and the diocese, current diocese of North Texas um, were all part of that one diocese. And North Texas knew they, they needed support and help. And the diocese of Texas with lots of resources said, uh, we, uh, we want to be part of this. And that moment of not just the reunification, but the telling of the story and the struggle uh, mm -hmm. was just so powerful and, and, and very, very moving. Again, you know, the, the church has these difficult moments that there is light on the other side. And that's what this represents. It is a good example. One more point, sir. One last moment. We talked a little bit about uh, the work of Gay Jennings uh, yes. last last week, and I don't think I included this quote that 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 I really want to. Ohio Deputy uh, Deborah Bennett, who's a priest in uh, Akron, Ohio, said this about Gay, who represent the Church of Justice and not just us. Oh, powerful. And we, we need to remind that um, the Reverend Gay Jennings was president of the House of Deputies uh, up till this. Um, the, I was the, assuming they listened to the first. The first well, thing. you know, <laughs> there, there's, uh, there are yeah. a lot of names here. Uh, yeah. You know, it's sort of like yeah. uh, 
look in our uh, in our gospel readings, we have to keep reminding who the original twelve were. So it's 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 not something to suspect. Everybody remembers every name, but I just have to bring that up. Isn't that a great vision, not just a testament to her 11 years of leadership, but what the Episcopal Church is about? It is about justice and not just us. Yeah. It is never solely about what is best for the Episcopal Church, because mm-hmm. if it doesn't speak of justice, and the presiding bishop would make me say, and if it doesn't speak of love, it isn't the way of Jesus. Well done. Got time for a quick question from Brianna? Yeah. All right. Well, thank real you. Real quick. Real quick. Just snap it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, as an Episcopalian myself and one on the slightly younger side, I think it's easy for general convention to seem like a top level event that happens for those that get elected to go and We don't always know everything that happens. It's just kind of a behind the doors event. But I think this year it felt really different, at least for myself. It felt like we got to be, you know, the the events got to be come to us at home, whether that was just virtually or through social media. But also I think the topics we were talking about seemed to hit home on a personal level for our congregations, our diocese. So how should we, the everyday non-delegates stay involved in what's happening now what yeah. comes next and how do we stay involved good question and and, and i think you know the, the the first thing i think i mentioned is that the the deputies who who gathered along with our bishop elect uh need to meet to again consolidate sort of some of the things that um seem to uh reflect our stated either our stated uh previous diocesan resolutions and also uh, some of the things that from the General Convention are being asked to be taken on on a diocesan and parish level. And in the midst of that, um, not simple reporting, but sharing, comes the question of how do uh, individual parishes get involved uh, with, with these areas? And, and that's an open dialogue and then some, some clear uh, uh, you know, voices says, I'm interested in doing this. I'm, you know, it's it's not so much task force like the Episcopal Church does as a whole, but 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 maybe some beginning groups of people, and we can do this now thanks to Zoom. You know, get get you know five people who are uh, part of the Diocese of Utah who are uh, interested in LGBTQI uh, issues, and uh, especially with. Uh, you know, uh, transgenders, persons who are um, uh, the subject of, of so much uh, scorn and uh, uh, work against. I, I, I think that that type of, of, of and, and that's that networking thing that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, how do we set those up on a uh, local diocesan level and we can do that now because you doesn't you don't need five people from your parish who says I'm going to do this, but if you've got five people from the diocese who all have you know who can get access to a computer, you can start to make this happen, and then it can grow from there. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah, right. no, I, I love that. I I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, that's a great place to have started and a great place to finish. And again, 
we certainly appreciate the wisdom and the reporting of uh, the Reverend Kurt Wiesner about um, uh, what went on in general convention, but it, it goes much further than that. It's what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, in, in our congregations. And that's why this was very important. And it all was part of the Utah Podcapalians, and that's a podcast of the Diocese of Utah, where we look at our unusual church in our unusual land, the land we all love of Utah. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese.